Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rodriguez back. He's at the warning track. He leaps. Say ya, see ya, salon. And his first ever Cubs hit ends up on the berm. You heard it here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. Say it's Suzuki. Knocked one out of the ballpark. Folks have been waiting to see some of that power, some of that pop that was reportedly in the bat. At least Medicare was tweeting about it. And I, I noticed it when I was watching it as well. He was kind of known as a guy who had that somewhat at times kind of high leg kick, and he, he adjusted it in that moment. Took him yard. It was nice to see him finally get one after coming into that moment 0 for 8 in spring training. Say it's Suzuki. Knocked one deep, and uh, you know there, there was some other knocking that was going on over the weekend at the Astros. We'll get into that and a variety of other topics with my guest here on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas Hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. That is where we go to find Joe Kilgallen. You can see him on a variety of platforms. He was just uh, earlier today on CHGO discussing all kinds of things, and uh, he loves being here with us on The Score. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Kilgallen. Joe, what's happening, man? How you doing this evening? Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to talk Cubs. Season's upon us. And it's also good to talk comedy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. You can uh, hear the Joe Kilgallen podcast as well. Make sure you check that out. Download it where you get your podcast. But, yeah, let's definitely start with that. Let's start with the Cubs. Nice to see Suzuki knock one out of the park today. He got his, his first, uh, you know, still spring training. No regular season hit that took place as of yet, obviously. But good to see him make nice contact and make an adjustment at the plate, I don't have a complete sense yet where where I think the Cubs are hoping to fall, attempting to sort of slot into things in a, in a wide open division this season. What's your sense for for what the Cubs are hoping to be this season? I think they're hoping to catch lightning in a bottle with some of these guys. You know, we saw some nice finishes to the season out of guys like Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel. And they're hoping, hey, maybe we found guys, granted, 29, 30-year-old rookies, typically 
aren't a thing in Major League Baseball, but I think they're hoping that they found some gems and couple that in with, you know, Nico Horner. Hopefully he's healthy. You bring in Nick Madrigal. These are two guys who are high contact guys. I think that's what they're hoping for with like the balance that was lacking in the previous seasons. It's it's been a strange off season though, because I think a lot of Cubs fans felt the doom and gloom of letting go of three icons. And then we thought, okay, they're going to be cheap again. Then they get Stroman, who everyone loves. Suzuki was a nice pickup, but it still feels like uh, not enough, not enough. So I think, I think, you know, if a lot goes right, if, you know, Clint Frazier turns out to be a guy and Suzuki gets off to a nice start, maybe they can compete in the expanded playoffs in Major League Baseball. But it's just a lot needs to go right. Yeah, that, that certainly uh, seems to be the, the vibe there. And, and speaking of vibes, Marcus Stroman brings um, a bit of a loquacious vibe with him and joining up with the Cubs. He's a guy who doesn't mind sharing his opinion on a variety of topics. And it's, it's going to be a clubhouse that's got a different feel to it for the Cubs than it has before because so many of the stalwarts that we've watched over recent years here are now gone. Well, what excites you? Does anything at all concern you about Marcus Stroman joining the Cubs? Nothing concerns me about Stroman. I'm a big fan of that guy. Been a big fan for years. I think he's the perfect combination. I mean, a three-year deal, too. It's one of those weird things where when they signed him, I thought, all right, they're going to try to compete in the short term while also trying to develop all the prospects they acquired from trading the big three at last year's trade deadline. So he's just a good attitude guy. He's a guy that I want around young players. If this is kind of like a bridge season or two before we start getting really competitive again, then you definitely want Marcus Stroman in your clubhouse. I think he's going to be a good influence on some of these young pitchers who should be coming up. There's guys like Caleb Killian and, you know, Justin Steele hopefully cracks the rotation. And, yeah, I want Stroman around those guys. And we we're talking about Suzuki briefly just as, a, as I brought you in there. And I'm, I can only imagine – what that's like, man, to be to show up in America to apparently understand the language well enough, but not necessarily speak it yet. So you got an interpreter there, and you meet new teammates. You're on you're on new soil and everything else. And I feel like we've watched this a good bit over the years, and, and watch players come from other countries, come over from Japan and what have you, and and kind of make their way in the major leagues. And I think probably those of us on the outside looking in take it for granted just because we, we see guys do it. But just what, what he's informing Cubs fandom, that, that's going to be a, a cool experience, I'm sure, for him. But, but what, what do you think about you know, just the, the players that we've seen do it while at the same time I think it's worthy of recognizing that his transition to the major league level won't only be about his baseball traits or his physical skills, but there's a huge adjustment he's going to go through just being on American soil. You know, you said it. Transition, I think, is the big key when you look at what Suzuki's going to do. And I want to, I want to, you know, as as a big Cubs fan, I want to remind other Cubs fans: for whatever reason, Cubs free agents don't always hit the ground running. I think there is something about Cubs fans and Wrigley Field that excites players, but until they're actually there in front of forty thousand strong, I think it could be a little bit overwhelming. I've been thinking of all the big free agent signings, even guys that we acquired via trade. They didn't always get off to such great starts. John Lester had a rough April. Uh, Derek Lee, I remember, struggled his first couple months. Moises Alou struggled back. You know, we're going way back to almost 20 years now. But there's been a lot of guys that when they first come over, I mean, you Darvish had that horrible first season. Right. They just kind of struggle. I don't know what it is. They don't, you know, it's, it's a hard place to get comfortable maybe. And I, I hope Suzuki, he seems to have the right personality to just kind of shake off a bad start. Uh, so I'm not really too worried about him there. There's going to be adjustments. He's still a rookie, even though he's a professional hitter. But I think once he finds his groove, 
uh, Cubs fans to be very, very happy with what they get out of him. And I, w- I was just referencing a little while ago when I was talking White Sox in the previous hour. Craig Kimbrell struggled when he first showed up on the north side. And obviously he's been in some some baseball meccas throughout his career, but he got to Chicago and was like, all right, he forgot how to pitch for a little while. And then that second season through the first half of last year, then he started looking like the the Craig Kimbrell that everyone thought the Cubs had initially acquired. So I think it's definitely a, a great observation that you make there, Joe, continuing our discussion with Joe Kilgallen right here on the Circle Resort Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. So one of these names that's still here that, you know, we're talking about what's been gone and what's new and everything else, but at the moment, Cubs are still trying to figure something out with that catcher, man. I don't know why it seems to be taking so long for them to figure something out with Wilson Contreras or Wilson Cone Trares, but for whatever reason, that they are just at least contractually at odds. Do you think as we move forward here, will Wilson Contreras continue his career with the Cubs? Or are we just kind of seeing the last days of another one of these talented ball players that helped bring a World Series to the North Side? You know, I. I'm trying to get – I was pretty negative as a fan over the last like couple months a little bit. I'm trying to be more positive. So the homer in me wants to say they'll figure something out. I know they should. I think – it doesn't look good, though. You know, betting man, I don't know. You guys all those great sponsors, so everyone makes your bets. But I, don't, I wouldn't bet on Contreras <laughs> lasting the entire season with the Cubs. Should he? Should they extend him? I absolutely think they should. It'd be one thing if Miguel Amaya was knocking on the door. He's not. He just got injured. He's going to be out for most of the season. He was hurt a lot of last year. There's no, like, catcher waiting in the wings that's going to take that spot. Contreras is 30 years old. With the DH now, you could rest him more. I mean, he's had a couple injuries in the past, but I always thought that was just because out of necessity he was overworked a little bit. There's just – and he's a great clubhouse guy. He's got the right attitude. He's uh, a great defensive catcher still. I could see him maturing really well. And, again, we have this young pitching staff that's going to be coming up the next couple seasons. I want Contreras around for that. A four-year deal isn't crazy, even a five-year deal. The Royals signed Perez to a deal, which I think Contreras could get a little bit less than, and it would make sense. And there's certain players that you're not going to mind that you overpay for because of what they mean to your franchise. I don't think anyone's going to be too upset if Contreras is getting paid too much in year four of his deal. They'll look at it as a whole where it's like he's got a lot of intangibles. So I hope and pray that they figure out a way to extend Wilson Contreras. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about that DH role also, just an an athlete like him. And I I think there's an opportunity for him to maybe flourish coming into his 30s to have an opportunity for some rest days, some off days, to be a DH in the NL and really kind of, you know, flourish in a way as a consistent threat at the plate that he just – you know, the, the rigors of being a catcher day in and day out, I, I think that's part of what hasn't allowed him to show those full talents of what he can be in the batter's box. Well, let, let, let's transition a little bit away from baseball here while I still got a couple of minutes with you. Uh, I, I would love to get your thoughts. We're a couple of days removed from it now. Will Smith has now issued the, the IG apology, but just for you, because you're an entertainer, you're a comic, you do a lot of different things in the industry. And I'm just wondering from, from that perspective, whether it's, you know, obviously Will's an actor, Chris Rock, stand-up comic, you can kind of see both perspectives of, of just this, this shocking moment that people experienced in watching the Oscars over the weekend. First off, when you saw it, did you think it was legit? legit? Did you think it was a bit? What were your initial takeaways? And then just have, what's your perspective on it now, a couple of days removed? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple of days removed, but it doesn't feel like it. I feel like everyone's still going on and on about it. <laughs> At the time, my first instinct was, oh, this is a bit. But then 
they cut away. So you didn't really know what was going on. They kind of muted the sound. And then when you went on Twitter, you were able to see like the footage from Canada and Australia and other countries. When you saw Will yelling back, keep my mm-hmm. wife's name out of your mouth. It was like, oh, this is real. The reason I thought it was a bit at first, because, you know, you just don't see people get slapped anymore. Um, it's kind of like if anyone's ever gotten slapped in the face, you kind of have a moment where you're like, wait, did I just get slapped? What happened? Am I what's, am I dreaming? Did he literally right. slap me? That's what, You're not even mad at first because you're so, like, dumbfounded over it. Um, I'm, of course, going to be on Chris Rock's side as a stand-up comedian. I always have the comedian's back. You know, you're a broadcaster and a player. Like, I'm sure you're always like, I got to lean their way. No, maybe. Um, the joke wasn't very funny, and maybe Chris didn't know about um, Jada having alopecia. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that part of it's unfortunate. You don't want to take a cheap shot. I just feel like Will would have – and look, I, and I, I feel for Will because, you know, I'm a guy who's had a little bit of a bad temper I've tried to deal with over the course of my life. I have red hair after all. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, you, you got loyalty. I get it. I've lost my temper over dumb things before. You know, I remember a guy made fun of my dog once, and I almost wanted to hit him. So I, I understand. And um, I'm not comparing her to a dog, everybody. Calm down. But, um, she's, of course, a beautiful woman. But I think it would have been better if he would have just had a moment where – I'm sure if he could do it all over again, he would have thought, oh, I should have just leaned over to her saying, hey, let's not let this ruin our night. Keep your head up. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to make him apologize to you. It doesn't even have to be an on-air apology, but I'm going to let him know and then just you know keep your head up about it. But um, he didn't, unfortunately. And now it's everyone's. It's been, I think what the funniest part is everyone's overreaction. Some people are like, you yeah. could have killed them. I'm like, well, it was a slap. Let's, <laughs> let's not get too crazy there. Okay, let's chill out a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, I bet, here's, here's my prediction, everybody. Next year's Oscars, Chris Rock and Will Smith will be on stage together at next year's uh, awards. <laughs> and my apparently, prediction. Chris Rock had a, and I don't know if he's hit the stage yet. He's in Boston tonight, from what I understand, where he's supposed to hit the stage. So hard to imagine he won't address that once he hits the stage, or maybe he already has. I suppose I'll check Twitter and see what's up with that, because you know he's going to have some thoughts to share once he does. But um, you, you mentioned the overreacts. I love to to kind of dive into that a little bit more before we let you run here. The the way that you know, folks are, you know, finding everything they can to, to say why Chris Rock was so wrong and, and why Will Smith should have been immediately, you know, hoisted off the stage by security and shouldn't be allowed back by the Academy. And I mean, the industry at large, man, it, whether it's, you know, my profession in sports, where anytime an athlete runs afoul of the law, it turns into the a referendum on athletes everywhere, whether it's domestic violence, drug abuse, you name it. And I feel like entertainment's, you know, at large it has the, the same sort of tenor to it where, Anytime something weird happens in Hollywood, it's like, okay, all of Hollywood is a bunch of weirdos and they're all guilty of this or that. From Will Smith's perspective, just looking at the amount of time he's been in the public eye, I kind of felt like Will was smacking Chris Rock, of course, and Rock has had a few jokes about about Will and Jada, certainly over the years. I feel like a little bit of that was Will kind of smacking the industry at large, too, just my perspective. Like He's thinking, you know what? I've been this good guy. I'm smiling. You're taking my kindness for weakness, and I've had enough, and we've had a rough couple of years with folks kind of you know, delving into our private lives here. The, the privacy aspect of this, well, where do you come down on just once you hit mega, super, global stardom, and how much privacy are you still allowed to expect? How much are you should you still be be able to to withstand as far as folks kind of coming at you with things? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone should is entitled to their privacy. It is tough with Hollywood because you know you become a public figure. Some jokes are going to be made at your 
expense, and I think that's something you need to understand. I definitely think you hit the nail on the head with Will being like, listen, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I think the best evidence to support that is the fact that he laughed at the joke initially. You know, he initially laughed, that, you know, so, but then I think he looked over at his wife and saw she was upset and thought, oh, I better do something. And then kind of went back in his mind to everything that's been going on with everyone kind of examining their relationship and all that stuff and what's going on with this and that. And then I think it kind of boiled over, you know, um, again, you don't hit people. It's a joke. I think maybe he wouldn't have been as sensitive to it if it wasn't like, you know, alopecia, that's, that's something that people struggle with. And that might've really, you know, that might've hurt her. And maybe that's something that's been a, a real bother to her. If it was just like him making fun of her dress or making fun of a movie she'd been in, I bet he doesn't care as much. And I think that's where it's fair game. If you're an actor or an entertainer, you're going to get some guff over like, oh, hey, Will, Wild Wild West was a real good flick. Like, you know, of course it wasn't. But, you know, you're going to have some of that. Um, and as, as comedians, I, I just don't want to get to a point where people think they could go on stage and, and go mm-hmm. after you. Because unlike me, you know, a lot of these comedians aren't very tough. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm a freak of nature. I'm very strong. But some of, of these course. guys... Of course. They're, they're tiny, so I'm worried about them. But I, again, I think this will all kind of blow over soon enough. But I, I definitely think you're right. I think Will just kind of had this moment where it's like, I'm not taking this anymore. Screw this. I got to do something. Yeah, it, it went global. No doubt about that, man. Well, as always, great stuff on the Cubs and entertaining stuff beyond that. Always enjoy our discussions with you, Joe. Let's do it again soon, man. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, that is Joe Kilgallen. You hear him plenty here on The Score. You see him on a variety of platforms. Check him out on Twitter at Joe Kilgallen and the Joe Kilgallen Podcast. We told you a little while ago about the breaking news. Bruce Arians steps down from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's moving into a front office role. And Todd Bowles taking over as the head coach of the Bucks. Well, Cesar Perez, he has tracked down the man himself, Hub Arcus. He's been on the scene down in Florida with the Bears brass and the NFL at large, and nobody has their ear to the ground more than Hub. He's going to join me on the other side of this timeout. Let's talk some Bruce Aarons. Keep that discussion rolling here on The Score. He's a great man. He's a great leader. He's a great person. He's you know a great friend. He's very loyal. He's just got a great way about communicating effectively with everybody around here. And everybody has a great affection for him, for the person he is. There's nobody that ever would say anything bad about BA. He's just a, he's so endearing to everybody. And I think everyone wants to win for him. You know that voice, the GOAT, Tom Brady. Talking about now his former head coach, Bruce Arians, who has retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least from having the big whistle. Moving into a front office capacity in Tampa Bay with Todd Bowles taking over as the head coach of the Bucks, And Tom Brady comes out of retirement, so you know there are Super Bowl expectations in Tampa Bay. Got our guy on the line. Cesar Perez was able to track him down at Hub Arkins, who has been, I don't know, not too far away from where the Bucks call home in recent days here, checking out things with the Bears brass. I've seen a bunch of other folks posting pictures of, you know, this coach and that GM and Hub's been lurking in the background in like every picture I've been seeing from the NFL owners meetings. Hub joins me now in the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Hub, are you are you still down in Florida? You close enough to drive over to Tampa and see what's happening there? Have you made it back to Chicago yet? 
No, I'm, I'm worried now that I've been lurking. I hope I wasn't lurking. <laughs> uh, no, I just got back a little while ago, actually. I landed at O'Hare about 5.30 or 6 and, and heard the news. And um, there was not a ton of news at the annual meetings. We call them the owners' meetings, but these are actually the annual meetings. They're, they're one of three sessions that the owners have each year. But this is usually the big one uh, where a lot happens. Uh, not much happened here. And uh, I guess the timing of this is interesting. As a matter of fact, it's possible uh, that it's something that Arians and the Glazer family were talking about while they were there. And uh, they wrapped the meetings early, uh, Anthony. They were supposed to go until about noon today, but they finished up at about 4.30 yesterday. And so there was a lot of folks just uh, relaxing, getting some downtime today as I was heading for the airport. And uh, it sounds like this is probably something that was on his mind. I think we talked about this a month or two ago. We were sitting around the green when we were doing the Pro Football Weekly TV show. And uh, after Brady announced his retirement, I, I had a feeling uh, that Arians might hang him up too. Uh, I'm sure he is uh, thrilled that, that, that Brady is back. And this puts him in a good spot because he's going to stay, be in the front office. He doesn't have to go through the rigors of coaching anymore. He's 69 years old. This guy's had a fair amount of health problems. Um, but two of his most trusted lieutenants, Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich, both end up in a better position now. Now Bowles is the head coach of the Bucks, uh, his second chance at a top job. And and one of the things that we've heard about Byron Leftwich is he's been a candidate the last couple of years but not gotten that job is the concern that you don't know how much of it is Byron Leftwich, how much is Bruce Arians, how much is Tom Brady. Well, he will clearly be his own man, his own offensive coordinator now. I'm sure that uh, Bowles will handle the Bucks. Somewhat like the, you know Matt Nagy handled the Bears. I don't think he'll be completely divorced from the offense, uh, but this will be a chance for Leftwich to really put his stamp on things with one more year at least of Brady. And so I'm, I'm sure his thinking is that this is a win-win-win for everybody. And you, you kind of alluded to something there that, that intrigues me is is whether or not, you know, you know I, I think of it almost through a Big Ten hoops lens where however many seasons ago where Bo Ryan was the longtime successful Wisconsin Badgers basketball coach. And like kind of, you know, just as the season was getting ready to tip off, he steps aside and Greg Gard takes over. And Greg Gard probably wouldn't have gotten that gig if Bo Ryan wouldn't have timed it up in the way that he did. But now Greg Gard has been successful. He's won a couple of Big Ten championships as Wisconsin's basketball coach. Do you get the sense that this was in some ways the timing of it? That maybe it's calculated. Bruce Aarons, we know his staff. He's been a you know guy. He's he's got all black coordinators or had past tense now all black coordinators on his staff, and they win the Super Bowl. Do you think the timing of this, from what we know about Bruce Aarons, he's the type of guy that maybe times this up in a way to set one of his coordinators up to take over for him? Yeah, it's a good question, Anthony. I, I think it was really kind of a given, though. I, listen, I still don't understand how Todd Bowles didn't get a job in this last cycle, uh, as you know, because we kicked it around a few times. He yeah. was my first choice for the Bears. I, I thought he was the best candidate out there this year when this cycle began. We knew it was going to be a handful of jobs, didn't know it would become nine. And the fact that he didn't get one was kind of stunning to me. And, and so now... You know, you look back, I, I wasn't obviously present for any of the interviews that he did have. Um, I was very surprised that, that he seemed less than aggressive with his interview with the Bears and, and that there was only one, that there wasn't a follow-up. And so I don't think it's inconceivable that in the background that, that there had been talk about 
this possibility uh, that if either he or Leftwich did get a head job, that the other one might inherit this job. I, I don't think anybody expected neither one, or at least I never expected neither one of them to get a job. Uh, and the fact that they're both there, uh, you know, cr- creates a little bit of an issue there. Although Bowles has been with Arians quite a bit longer than uh, than Leftwich has. Remember, he was his defensive coordinator in Arizona, and that's how he got his first job with the Jets, with the success they had down there. So I think Bowles was the obvious choice of the two. But but I, I wouldn't put it past him. One of the things that Bruce Arians is best known for uh, is his commitment to and his work on behalf of minority coaches, his work on behalf of the underdog, if you will, taking bold steps, doing things that other coaches haven't done. And and I didn't realize it. I, I was kind of surprised. I had forgotten that it was five years in Arizona. For some reason, I thought it was only three. I knew he'd gone to two playoffs. But this guy's got 86 NFL wins. So, you know, I, I, you would have thought maybe he'd have hung on one more year to try and go for 100 because that's a pretty select club. Um, but, you know, you think of him as much as the Steelers offensive coordinator as you do a head coach and as the assistant coach who took over for Chuck Pagano when he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, but in his own right now, in two stays with the Arizona Cardinals and the Bucks, he's been wildly successful. And I think he probably earned the right to pick his successor, particularly since he is staying with the organization. He's been pretty adamant about that. I know you've been on the air. I don't know if you had a chance to read all the statements, but he has said, please don't talk about my health. I'm fine. He said, and please don't call this retirement. He said, I'm switching to the front office. I'm anxious to be part of the front office now. And so he is going to be there. He's still going to be involved. And uh, I think it's, it's like I said at the top, it just feels like a pretty good situation for all three of them. Executive editor of Pro Football Weekly, analyst at Shaw Media, and our guy here at the Score Hub, Arkish, with me here on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Hotline, you can find him on Twitter at hub underscore Arkish. And when the, the photo that the NFL coaches, the head coaches, normally take at these meetings, uh, usually on an annual basis, it's been a few years because of COVID, and it's the first time in a few seasons that they've been able to take this, this off-season class photo with all the coaches, and Bruce Arians wasn't there, but neither was Bill Belichick or Dan Campbell, so I suppose the absence of Arians didn't stand out that much, but um, you've kind of referenced that that maybe there was some sense that that some folks could see this coming. I'm wondering about, we played the sound from the Michigan man, from Tom Brady, you're a Michigan man as well, of course. (laughs) That relationship, what, what do you know about whether or not some of the reports of there being some some fractures, some some fissures, some tension between Arians and Brady. How how much of that was true, and could that be a factor in Arians not being the coach going into what could be another Super Bowl season? Yeah, I, I don't think so, Anthony. Because it, 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 when you talk about you know the goat and and a highly successful head coach, and I mean you know this better than most, just the competitive nature and the egos, there's going to be some tension. It's it just it, it's a given. Uh, but but everything I've heard is that they have great mutual respect for each other, and I don't know that Brady would have come back as quickly as he had, you know, if there was fractures or issues. I, I find it hard to believe that the Bucks have known this was coming for weeks or months. Uh, uh, why, if they did, would they hold it till now? I mean, I wouldn't want to go into free agency. Uh, with the head coach not committed to staying, you know that that's not a great way to be able to recruit players, and and they had to you know to convince some of their guys to come back. So uh, I'm sure that there were moments where they kind of got crosswise of each other, but I don't think it, from everybody I've talked to there was nothing you know chronic. There 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 was no persistent problem there, 
and I, and I really doubt strongly that that had anything to do with any of this. Yeah, I mean, Aaron's has usually been known as a guy who's pretty much a player's coach, and Tom Brady put up with Bill Belichick for over 20 years. So, I mean, <laughs> there, there's very few coaches gonna, that are maybe going to have a harder edge to them than Belichick. So I can't imagine that Brady would be run off by the notion of playing for Bruce Arians for another season. Um, well, what are your initial thoughts? I, I've referenced this a little earlier when the news first broke, where you know, Bruce Arians having a, another Super Bowl championship as a head coach and you referenced him you know he would have had an opportunity at getting that hundred win threshold and maybe adding another ring to the mix here and coming back for another season so that that surprised me a little bit just in hey you know you're approaching 70 but you can maybe have cemented a a hall of fame sort of career here does that do you think as it sits right now i mean how how much consideration has bruce arians earned for the hall well, I, I think when you add in that he is one of the, the, the great offensive coordinators, one of the great assistant coaches of all time, um, I, I believe he had at least one. Did he have two rings or one ring with the Steelers? Um, uh, I'd have mm. to go back and check the timing of all that. I'm not sure now that I think about it, but uh, I think you could certainly make an argument for it. I, I don't think it'll happen or it won't happen quickly because there are a handful of other even more successful head coaches uh, guys with one ring as a head coach, but a lot more wins, you know, guys who've done it with a few teams. So um, I, I don't think there'll be a groundswell for it, uh, but it's certainly something I could see happening down the road. I, I you know, it took Tom Flores forever uh, to get in. And he had two rings. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe, but, 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 you know, I, I don't think it's going to be anything that you're going to hear, you know, a, a big groundswell where everybody says, yeah, he belongs in the hall. Let's get him in on the first ballot or something like that. And I don't even know, Anthony, I, I don't think, I don't think coaches have to wait five years. I think that's for players. I, I think coaches basically go when their, their number is up. I could be wrong about that. And, and one, one other, you know, quick thought, um, about what you asked about the relationship between Brady and Arians. He is a, a player's coach, but let's not forget, he also is famous for saying what's on his mind. He's a, he's a no-nonsense, no BS kind of guy. And I could just see multiple meetings where him and Brady, just without thinking, you know, probably said something to the other that didn't set well. And I'm sure they had their moments, uh, but, but I don't think that, uh, again, that there was any serious issue going on there. Yeah, and, and along those those Hall of Fame lines, and we could have a very detailed discussion about this at, at another time, but names like Dan Reeves and Marty Schottenheimer, just guys who were great for a long time as head coaches, and maybe the, the head coaching Super Bowl ring evaded them, and you know, just think like, all right, that, that Hall of Fame resume, maybe Aaron's going to cement it with a, a second head coach ring, but man, there, there's some guys who did it at a high level for a long time that aren't in the Hall yet, so it, it does feel like, yeah, there, there's a list that Aaron's would be on, Maybe not definitively there at the moment, though. Um, I, I do want to sneak in some Bears talk with you also. You know, kind of, I really appreciate you being able to join at the last second here with the breaking Bruce Arians news. We talked a little Bears earlier in the show here, but well, what, are your, what are your takeaways from what you've been hearing in recent days between Poles and, and Eberflus? Well, you know, Anthony, I think the best part, the, the owners' meetings to me are, are probably one of the most important events of the year because you get some – some extended time with the coach and the GM and you get some, some extended off the record time and, and off the record is off the record. I'm not going to report any of what we discussed, but, but you get to know people, you, you know, you, you get to know a little bit more about who they are, which you really, you can't even do under normal circumstances in non COVID days and press conferences. And you certainly can't do it over zoom. 
And, and I think in this case in particular, with both of these guys being new, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, and both being rookies, there has to be a period of adjustment where, where they get to, to settle into the job, where they're going to have to make a few mistakes. Uh, you know, they're going to learn from them. Uh, hopefully they're going to do a great job because they were ready coming in. But, but everybody, you know, makes mistakes, and especially with a job this big that they've never done before. And I think now, after spending the last couple of days with them, I've got, I've got a little better feel for, for who they are, you know, and what they're really thinking. I mean, one of the things that had nagged at me about Matt Eberflus is, is he kept, I think I made this comment to you, he kept coming across to me more like a high school math teacher than really a football coach. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but talk, I sat next to him for about a half hour yesterday as we visited with him, and, and it was mostly on the record, but still got a different vibe, a different sense. The football coach in him came out as, as we got to talk and scheme and, 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 and player uh, attitude and, and, and motivation and things like that. And, and I understand better now why he was such a top candidate. Um, and, and I really like some of the things he said yesterday about the way he's approaching the job. He clearly gets the difference between being the head coach and being the defensive coordinator. And, and I must have said on this air, you know, three dozen times over the last couple of years, that was Matt Nagy's biggest mistake. Matt Nagy is not as bad a football coach as Bears Nation wants to paint him. But the biggest mistake he made in Chicago is he never embraced being a head coach. He just wanted to be the offensive guru and do everything else in his spare time. And that's not the way you do this. I can see already Matt Eberflus is learning from that, and he gets that and he understands it. One of the things I loved was he told us yesterday um, uh, that he spent 45 minutes to an hour one-on-one -on -one with each of his assistant coaches as they were hired after they'd had a few weeks to do self-scouting of the football team, the roster that they inherited, and talk about a plan for each player in their room as to how they were going to develop them and make them better. Um, and, and, and that I just was really impressed with because he's getting it down to, to the roots and, and building from the ground up, and he's really focused on instituting a culture, a winning culture that he believes in. I know people have made fun of the acronym and the HITS concept and everything else, and yeah, it's a little hokey, um, but it also is it's the same thing Lovey Smith did here when he got here in 2005, you know, and he just didn't have a name for it, was all it really was, but it, it's teaching the Tampa 2, and it's why the Tampa 2 is such a great turnover or takeaway defense, and so um, really starting to get comfortable with him. Now, there's a lot more to learn. You know, we haven't, he talks about the face, he still hasn't met most of his players, and so there's only so much he can know. Similar kind of situation with Ryan Poles, and Ryan was a little different because we did, we talked for about 20 minutes, and then we did go off the record, really kind of let your hair down for, for about 15 minutes. And in the off the record, I saw a whole new side of him, got to know a little bit more about the personality of Ryan Poles and, 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 and how he thinks and feels. And um, I really was taken with him. He talked about the difficulties of trading Khalil Mack and having to walk away from the Larry Ogunjobi uh, uh, contract. And, and he, he clearly was moved by, by his the way he felt by his disappointment in the Ogunjobi physical and how terrible he felt when he had to talk to the young man. And and just seeing, you know, how personally he took it, how serious he was about it, you can tell these guys, these guys are devoted, they're committed, and they're already starting to get a sense of that whole Bears heritage thing. And so, again, until we see that, until we see the roster that they put together, until we actually see the coaches do some coaching, until they've played some games, we don't know what you've got here. But I do feel like this was an opportunity to get to know them better. And I feel a little better about their inactivity and free agency. I, I still, the, the one thing I'm disappointed in 
is that this is clearly a complete rebuild, Anthony. I mean, they're not, they're going to try and win as many games as they can this year, but I think even they know it may not be that many because they've got an inferior roster right now. But I do understand the players that they did sign, and I do think that there's a possibility. You know, people around the league call the Akeem Hicks signing six years ago one of the best free agency signings ever, certainly of the last decade or so. And I think what they're hoping for is to find another Akeem Hicks or two. And, and there's three of these kids that I look at, Nicholas Morrow and al Qasim Muhammad, and, 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 um, uh, and possibly, I, you know, I don't see it so much in Byron Pringle, but they want to see it. Um, that, that these are guys who have not played their best football yet. And, and I think it's possible with Morrow and Muhammad, and then Justin Jones is another one because he is a classic three technique. I think there's a possibility that one of these guys could become a, a, a key piece just when you look at their history if they can stay healthy. That, that's been a big problem for all of them but Pringle. And so um, there's that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they still don't have five starting offensive linemen. They still only got one tight end. They still need another starting linebacker. They need another starting safety. Um, and, and so there's a lot of work to do. And, and, and that's when you know that this is a team that you know, they're more interested in, in, in the foundation that they're building than they are in necessarily how, how many games they're going to win this year. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, where Ryan Poles hasn't closed the door completely on Larry Ogunjobi, Larry Ogunjobi, and there's a lot of other teams that are kind of saying something similar that, you know, maybe for a lesser contract, he, he may still circle around there. Feels a little far-fetched after the way the Bears missed on him, but, but who knows, it would be intriguing. If nothing else, my, my early impression is it does seem like they're, they're two guys who, who certainly carry themselves as good guys, but that are also willing to make Difficult decisions. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the the early impression I have at the moment. Whether or not this methodical approach ends up working out, obviously, like you referenced, we will have to, to see the results to know that part for sure. Well, I won't keep you any longer, man. I really appreciate you making the time to, as you've raced back from Florida and gotten here and, and just landed in Chicago to, to cover some breaking news with me. I appreciate you, man. Uh, you know, anytime for you, man. It's always fun. Thanks for having me, and you have a great night. I will do that. That is the great Hub Arkis here with me on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. You can, of course, find him on Twitter at Hub underscore Arkis. You can read all this stuff at Pro Football Weekly and Shaw Media. You hear him all the time here for many, many years. On, oh, and a shout-out to uh, Commandant Lassard there. Many, many uh, on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. When we return, the NFL made some adjustments to their overtime rules. I do want to, before I get out of here, address my thoughts on that, on what they did, and and sneak in a little bit of a Bulls topic for you as well. A lot still to get to with just a few minutes to do so on the score. The Wizards will put it in play. Raul Neto, the veteran point guard out of Brazil, he's going to eat the clock here. They will not take a shot, and this ball game is over. Bulls win! Bulls win! Bulls win 107 to 94. They sweep the season series against the Washington Wizards, triggered by the fourth quarter play of DeMar DeRozan with 32, and also the Vooch with 15 of his 27 coming in the opening quarter. Had some solo Chuck happening last night on the scores. The Bulls took down the Wizards. You heard it right there from Chuck Swirsky. You heard it right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score 107 to 94 was the final score in a game that was, of course, huge for the Bulls because you, you could not afford to continue dropping games to teams who, frankly, just are worse than you. Not worse than you've necessarily been playing as of late, but on the whole, on the season as a whole, the Washington Wizards have not been as good 
as the Chicago Bulls. The New York Knicks have not been as good as the Chicago Bulls, but you cannot afford to continue losing games of that ilk to some of those teams. So it was an important game for the Bulls to get. Loads of respect for Zach Levine on the second night of a back-to-back to put in the work that he put in. Obviously, not at full strength. And, I mean, there's certain moments. And I, I respect the fact that, that Stacey King on the television broadcast still expecting big things from Levine, still holding him to the standard of hustle. Because if you're on the court and you're out there, then, yes, that should at least be the expectation. If you don't have the, the same level of explosion in your legs to go and finish at the rack you know, with contact and everything else, but to chase loose balls and call them out for things of that sort, to make the right read offensively, defensively, and showing up in, in that way, then I, I love that Stacy still holding Zach Levine to that standard while obviously, you know, no doubt recognizing second night of the back-to-back and dealing with the knee in the way that he has been that, that there's a lot that he's going through right now. And I, I think that that was fairly apparent physically for where Zach Levine was while at the same time only 10 shot attempts in the game, but was still out there, you know, making things happen and moving the ball and at times seemingly just being a decoy, having moments where he was, you know, hedging, doubling, moving his feet effectively on defense and doing some of the things that that can be called into question about Zach Levine at times and playing 34 minutes. It's asking a lot for for where he's at and what he's going through. And, you know, he didn't necessarily say, I'm going to go out here and and shoot 15 threes because I don't feel like driving to the basket. He was willing to acquiesce to Nikola Vucevic and, of course, to Debo, DeMar DeRozan, and he started heating up. DeRozan did in the third quarter, certainly with 14 points in the fourth quarter took the game over as he has been able to do, been willing to do uh, throughout a variety of times during the season. The thing the Bulls need to be able to do, though, is how do you bottle what we saw for stretches of that game? And there were certainly some lackadaisical stretches again, but how do the Bulls, how does Billy Donovan go about getting these guys to bottle that intensity and take it to the court game in, and game out. That's who this bull squad needs to be. They need to be a team that plays with defensive intensity, not just Alex Caruso, but to show as they did at a variety of stretches earlier in the season, that the teammates are willing to feed off of that intensity that you see Alex Caruso attacking with on defense. That's been within them at times this season. They have fed off of that and it have made them all more effective defenders around Alex Caruso at stretches this year. We saw a lot of that on the court last night against the Wizards. That's got to become a more consistent thing. It's got to become a more consistent element of how the Bulls attack games because they're not simply going to out-talent their opponents. I don't know how they wouldn't be able to recognize that up to this point, but there's an approach that needs to be there on each end of the court. Defensively, They have to be bothersome. They have to be swarming. They have to be attacking and allow that to get them out into the break. And in the half court, whether or not Zach Levine is having a good knee night or not, Nikola Vucevic in the post has to be a huge, has to be a consistent part of how they operate offensively. Too frequently this season, the Bulls offense has had sort of a you know, a, a feeling like they're they're treating Vooch like they treated Bill Cartwright. And Stacey was talking about this on the broadcast the other night. I've mentioned it a few times 
during the season here. I remember as a kid watching Bulls games, and it would be like a running joke. Bill Cartwright would get a couple of baseline jump shot attempts early in the game, and then he would kind of disappear from the Bulls offense aside from elbowing people in the chops on screens that he would set for MJ or Pippen or whoever else. But Bill wasn't getting any shots in the second half. He barely getting shots in the second quarter. But early on, first couple of times down the court, let's get the ball to Cartwright. Let him shoot his very methodical and awkward-looking baseline jumper, and he'd hit him. But that was all Cartwright was getting back in the day. That's kind of how they would treat Vooch in some of these games this season. There's tangible evidence of it. There's statistical evidence of it. Last night was the prime example we've had as of late. When Vooch is in the offense, when Vooch is in the post, when Vooch is dealing and doing his thing, and he is capable of being a distributor, he's improved as a passer throughout his career. He sees the court well. The offense doesn't need to run through Vooch nine times out of ten, but you can't allow that to disappear from the Bulls' offense when you get into the fourth quarter of these games. Yeah, you want DeMar DeRozan doing his one-on-one thing, but offense is just too hard to spend the entire game with DeRozan going one-on-one, with Levine going one-on-one. Let Vooch cook and allow that cooking to take place in the post. That's where that gumbo is at its best when it's down low. That's where it can get to you. It's been a fun night. Got three hours coming off of the Cubs' spring training game. My thanks to all the guests that joined me throughout the evening. It was a fun show in being able to talk to all of them. So thank you to Herb Lawrence for making some history. First time he's been on as an analyst here on The Score. Plenty more of that will be on the way, I'm sure, in the future. Thanks to Cam Ellis for joining me to talk some Bears and that breaking Bruce Arians news. Thanks to Joe Kilgallen for talking not only the Cubs, but that Will Smith and, and Chris Rock kerfuffle from over the weekend. And thanks to Hub Arcus for being on with me at the last moment as well after that Bruce Arians news broke. Thanks to Cesar Perez for running the ones and twos for me throughout the evening and appreciations, salutations to all of you for listening. I'm Anthony Heron. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. This has been my show here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.